a number of the cultural issues that we are dealing with right now in the United States of America. We feel that we cannot be silent about these things anymore, but that we've come to a place where we need to share with you what the Word of God says. And so our commitment through this series is to get right to the Word of God and to see what God has to say about these various issues because God has a lot to say about these issues. And a lot of times we're afraid to talk about it because we're afraid of being political or being partisan, but these are not political issues, these are spiritual issues, and we need to hear what God has to say about them. And the reason that we turn to the Word of God concerning this issue is because we believe that the Word of God is the foundation for life and of conduct. We believe that the Word of God is the only safe place that you can build your life upon that will not only save you now, but for all of eternity. In fact, this weekend I was considering what Jesus said at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. He said these words, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall." You know what I've always appreciated about this particular analogy that Jesus used here is that he was telling us that storms come to everyone. Storms come to the wise and storms come to the foolish and rebellious. Storms come to Christians, storms come to atheists, storms come to everyone. And the outcome of that storm is not determined by the frequency or even the intensity of the storm. It is determined by the integrity of the foundation that the house was built upon. The wise man builds his life, builds his marriage, builds his family upon the word of the living God Almighty. And when the storms are over, they'll still be standing strong. The wise, the, the unwise, the foolish, the rebellious, they build their lives upon the shifting sand of their own emotion, of their own feelings and what seems right and what feels right to them. And when the storms are over, great is their fall. Choose this day who you will serve. Will you serve your own emotions and what you think is right? Or will you serve the Lord and build your life upon the sure foundation, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior? Can somebody say amen to that? We need to choose this day who we're going to serve, ourselves or are we going to serve the Lord God Almighty? Now, so far in this series, we have looked at racism. Um, we have looked at uh, the drug culture. Next week, as it was announced in our video here, we have a very special guest that is coming to talk to us about human trafficking. She'll be here on Sunday morning. And then on Monday night, she is going to do a workshop with us and talk to us a little bit more about raising our awareness because many times trafficking happens right under our nose and we're not even aware of it. And so we need to be aware of these things and, and do whatever we can to help reduce that risk um, in, in Jesus' mighty name. So that's next week. 
The following week, I'm going to do a message on abortion, because even though abortion is legal in this country, it is still a crime against God. Can I hear a better amen than that? And we, we need to reaffirm that. And then in the final message of the series, I'm going to walk you through the role that revivals and spiritual awakenings have played in U.S. history. Whether you are aware of it or not, there have been a number of major revivals and awakenings that have taken place in the history of the United States of America that have served as, if you will, a reset for our nation and have brought us back to the biblical morals that this church was built upon in Jesus' name. And so we're going to talk about that in the final message of this series. Now, many of you know last week we started a message that we will finish today on human sexuality, on marriage, and we're going to touch more today on gender. And I want to assure you parents that are here today with your children that uh, I'm aware of their presence, and I am restraining myself. I will not go into as much detail as I did last week, but you're going to have to give me a little leeway here at the very beginning. I will, again, back off a little bit, but I, I do need you to be aware that we have to talk about some things up front. Um, and just let me say this. I, I, I'm a parent myself. My children are grown now. But I understand your concerns. But listen to me. If you're not talking to your children about these things, somebody is. Okay? Somebody will talk to them. And that age is getting younger by the second. And you need to understand that what you used to be able to wait until they were much older, you can't wait anymore. Because they are being introduced to these things through media, through the schools that are anti-Christ. You need to be aware of that. And so I'm going to be restrained. But at the same time, parents, I encourage you to start talking to your children about these things for the glory of God. Now, as you can imagine, over the last several weeks, I've been poring over many articles and books and various material to do my best to educate myself on some of the issues that we've been dealing with and especially the sexual crisis that we are now facing in the United States of America. And I can tell you that after all of the studies that I have put in, I can tell you that it is impossible, impossible to overstate the devastating effects that the sexual revolution of the 60s, the 70s, and the early 80s has had upon our culture. And one of the sad results among so many is the deconstruction of human sexuality. Our nation has systematically been deconstructing family, deconstructing gender, deconstructing human sexuality in general to bring it away from God and to create it in its own image, if you will. What, at the time we thought, just amounted to men and women breaking free from orthodox Judeo-Christian restraints of human sexuality. And again, the 60s, the 70s, and the early 80s was much more sinister than that. The demonic, even the satanic uh, plot fueling the minds of the evolutionaries of that day was not only to practice intimacy whenever they wanted, with whomever they wanted, in whatever form they wanted, but it actually was meant to eventually separate the act of intimacy between a husband and a wife from childbearing. 
that intimacy between a husband and a wife was not primarily for procreation, but was for our own pleasure. They wanted to separate both the act of intimacy and childbearing from marriage so that I can have intimacy without the baggage of being a parent or a spouse. And they ultimately wanted to eliminate all the distinctions between men and women except for those that the individual explicitly embraces. In other words, even my gender is my choice. That I get to choose how I am going to live out my life. They absolutely wanted to deconstruct human sexuality so that I am free to do whatever I want to do. But right in the midst of this permissiveness, in the midst of the pervertedness, in the midst of the decadence and the depravity of that revolution comes the very quiet and yet in-your-face simplicity of Genesis which says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, imago Dei, we are created in the image of God. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you are created in the image of God. Man is a separate creation from the animal kingdom. We did not evolve from animals. We are a separate created work. God created the animals, then he created man in his image. We have a personality similar to God. We have a will, we have intellect, and we have emotion. God created us so that we can relate to Him and so that we can relate to one another. And we need to remember that we are separate and distinct from all of the animal kingdoms. The animal kingdom moves by instinct, by the grace of God, even though we have instincts. We are to move intellectually. We are to reason out. We are to be governed by, as believers, the law of love, which means that I do not live for myself, but I live for the glory of my Creator, and I live for the benefit of others. That I have an obligation to put myself a distant third. My life is given to me for the glory of God and for the building up of my fellow man. This is not a free-for-all. This is not about me doing what excites me. It is about doing what glorifies God and benefits my fellow man. We are created in the image of God. And God said, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Man was created on the sixth day, the final act of his creative work. And then in chapter 2, he begins to unpackage the events of the sixth day. So it's not another day he's talking about. Chapter 2 is just going in depth to what happened on the sixth day. The Lord God uh, took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. The only time that God said it is not good. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh in its place, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. The first surgery. And he brought her to the man. 
And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh and they were both naked, the man and the wife, and were not ashamed. And there was no reason for them to be ashamed because they were practicing, if you will, their sexuality within the protective boundaries that God had established around that union. As I said to you last week, this is so powerful that God said it would be unloving for me to let them have free reign at it. I've got to put a protective boundary around this so that it will protect them from the natural consequences that will always follow any deviation from my plan. And in those 11 verses, like I said to you last week, God said everything that would ever need to be said about gender, about human sexuality, and even about marriage and the roles of husbands and wives. Everything that needed to be said about this issue was said in those 11 verses. God looked down, he saw that it was very good, he blessed it, which means that he set it apart and sanctified it unto himself for the purpose for which he had created it, and then the Bible says that he rested on the seventh day. And again, I would remind you that that doesn't mean that he was tired and needed to take a nap after it, because God is all power all the time. And when he exerts himself, he does not, deplete, uh, does not in any way deplete his strength. He is all power all the time. Rest here is like in a courtroom when the defense rests. When they rest, they've said everything that needs to be said. And that's what God is saying. My divine decree is settled. I've said everything that needs to be said. I'm not going to revisit this. I'm not going to come back in the 21st century and redefine it. It's been defined. It's very good. And I've blessed this union. God made us in His image. He gave purpose to man in order to uh, fulfill his plan, which is to be fruitful and multiply, to have dominion and to subdue the earth. Then he gave the plan for that, which is marriage between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. And that plan has never been altered. It has never been changed in the heart of God. And we know because of that, that any deviation from that original plan, any deviation from that plan, is not only rebellion against God, but it is rebellion against our own bodies and even against humanity. You know, from time to time, and this is an argument you will hear, but from time to time people will say, well, you know what? Jesus never said anything about these issues. So I guess it's not a big deal to him. Jesus never said anything about gender. Jesus never said anything about same-sex attractions. Jesus never said anything about, you know, wanting to change your gender. Jesus never said anything about that. So it's not a big deal to him. And so we should just be free to do whatever we please. But you have to remember something. That when you're addressing an issue, there are always two ways that you can address it. First, you can address it by stating something positively, or you can state something negatively. And it really depends on the audience that you're speaking to. It depends on the context that you are speaking from. But there are always two ways to address any one issue. You can state it positively, or you can speak it negatively. And I say that because Jesus did throw his hat into these issues. And to say otherwise is just being naive. It only demonstrates that you've never read your Bible. One day the religious leaders came to Jesus to test him. To try and trip him up. It's found in Matthew chapter 19. 
where we're told that the Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for man to divorce his wife for just any reason? The reason that they asked him that question is because at that time, there were two prevailing opinions dealing with the subject of divorce. None of them were the teachings of God. The rabbis taught these out of their own opinion, and they wanted Jesus to side with one of the opinions because in doing that, they could accuse him of breaking the law of God. And I love this. Because Jesus answered and said to them, Have you not read? I love that. Have you not read, takes them back to the Old Testament Scriptures. Have you not read that He who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. A quote of Genesis 1 and of Genesis chapter 2. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. Took them right back to the original design. Divorce has always been a sticky situation, but you have to understand that in the Old Testament there was a divorce allowance that was made, but it was to protect women who were being abused by men who just would have many affairs, would abuse their wives, would not treat them well. And God said, as much as I hate divorce, I'm going to permit it under these circumstances because for me not to permit it would be actually less merciful. So he had to make that provision for the women so that she would no longer be abused. But he said that wasn't the way it was meant from the beginning. From the beginning, they were meant to be one flesh and to be one flesh. And what God had joined together, man could not separate. And I say to you, listen to this, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. And again, if you have an issue with that, your issue is with Christ, not with me. That's what Jesus said. So Jesus did make a statement. He didn't handle these issues negatively, but he handled them in the positive. Jesus did not state what he was against. He stated what he was for. And in saying what he was for, he was making it very clear what he was against. He was against anything that was a deviation from the plan of God. Because when he was asked about it, he said, from the beginning. I love how Jesus actually started out. He started out with, have you not read? And when he he said that, he said, this isn't about opinion. This isn't about what that rabbi teaches and what that rabbi teaches. It is about what God taught us in the Bible. Never be afraid to stand in this generation and say that we as believers have put our trust in the word of the living God Almighty and we build upon it in Jesus' mighty name. Don't ever be afraid of it. That's how Jesus tackled issues of his day and that's how we tackle with the issues of our day. We go back to the Word of God. And He took them right back to the original design. In the beginning, He made them male and female, and He joined them in marriage. So that in marriage, they would produce children, and those children would again bear the image of God. And from one generation to the next, they would fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God, even as the waters cover the sea. And again, any deviation from this plan is... 
a transgression against God, and it is also a transgression against our own body. Remember, Paul said that every sin we commit is outside of the body, but the sin of sex, sexual sin, that is a transgression against your own body, and every part of your body suffers as a result. In the beginning, God created them male and female. End of discussion. I mean, that is it, male and female. Now, I want to be very sensitive. I really do. Because this is a very sensitive issue. And I realize that no matter how I tackle this one, somebody's going to get offended. And all that I can ask of you is to hear me all the way through and, and just test these things against the Word of God to see if they be true. Now, if you don't want to accept the Word of God as the standard for life and conduct, that is between you and your Creator, you will one day stand before Him and give an account for your life, but that is your prerogative. But this is what we teach. You need to understand the things that we say are not motivated by hate. They're not motivated by fear. They're motivated by the Word of the living God. In the beginning, God created them male and female. Who would have ever thought we would live in a day where even the most obvious, the most natural boundaries would even be torn down and would be questioned. You know, I, I, I've looked at a lot of things and you wonder how much do I share from this pulpit? What do I go into? But it is just tragic today that men and women are even confused upon what gender they are. So bent are they on this that they're trying to separate the sex of a child from the gender of a child. They, they will say, I am biologically one, but I have chosen to be the gender of another. We have become so twisted in our way of thinking today. Uh, you know, the United Kingdom right now, this, this article came out a couple of months ago, and you don't see it really here. You have to go to other countries. And the UK right now is researching on why in the last 10 years, the last 10 years, they have seen a 4,000% increase. 4,000% increase in referrals for gender dysphoria. 4,000% increase in just 10 years with now children coming in confused about what gender they are. Uh, they're, they're researching to find out what, what is the cause of that. And what their conclusion is right now is that this is being driven by social media. That they go on Facebook and Instagram, they go on YouTube, they go any place where there is this this fraternity of, of individuals and they listen to the stories of transition that other people have had and they begin to develop a sympathy toward it and they say, I am too. That has been highly refuted from the LGBTQ community. You can understand why. In fact, something that um, happened just a couple months ago, a professor from Brown University, one of the Ivy League schools, a professor... Um, did a peer-reviewed article 
in which they talked about the devastating influence that social media has had upon our children in causing gender dysphoria. I'm going to tell you, folks, we are going to find one day that our smartphones made us dumb. (laughs) We have just opened up Pandora's box. And you need to know what your children are watching, what they're looking at, what they're seeing, because it has opened up a portal to all kinds of evil today. Um, I was reading an article today of a number of parents that this is a movement among, I should say, soon-to-be parents who no longer want their children to be referred to as babies, but they want them to be referred as babies. Yeah, (laughs) that's what I said too. Babies, because they believe that babies is too gender-driven. They want their children to be referred to as they's and them's because any other pronoun would be pushing on them gender. An article that came out in the... Be sensitive. I'm serious. Like, look, you know, most of us can see through that, but this is the world that many people are being raised in. They don't know any different. And so you've got to be sensitive. A couple in the New York Times, the story ran not too long ago. They sat down with the doctors and with the nurses that would be overseeing the delivery of their soon-to-be-born baby, and they were given explicit instructions not to use any pronouns for their baby. They were not to declare, it's a boy, it's a girl. You can refer to them as them or they, but you are not going to impose upon them a construction You're not going to impose upon them gender. They will get to choose what gender they are at some point in the future. Of course, you know that many parents are now putting puberty blockers upon their children to block them from the natural course of puberty that would send them into the God-ordained gender that they were. They're putting them on blockers. And many people are rising up and saying, we have absolutely no idea the long-term effects that these puberty blockers will have on our children. In the beginning, God created them, male and female. That's, that's what I have to say to it. And He did that for a purpose. There wasn't a genetic accident. God purposely created mankind first equal. There is not one gender of the two that is, that is better than the other. Men and women are equal in the eyes of Almighty God. Okay? We have to, that was a very weak amen. <laughs> okay? That is, not a, that is not a feminist statement. It's not a radical feminist statement. The reality is men and women are equal in the eyes of God. God created men and women both in His image. But then He designated men and women to reveal His glory. 
You say, how is God's glory revealed in that way? Well, remember that there is one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All of them are distinct, and all throughout the Bible you see them functioning in a very distinct office, but they are one. And in the same way, God separated mankind in male and female to reveal that they can have different functions, but come together as one in Jesus' name. Ladies, you reveal a a part of God's glory that men cannot. Men reveal a part of God's glory that women cannot. But when we come together as brothers and sisters, as husbands and wives, we bring a better picture of the glory of Almighty God. But he He also gave gender to give us a sense of identity, to give us a sense of purpose, to give us a sense of who we are in relationship to our Creator and even to creation. You know, the Bible, in Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul said, in Him we live and move and have our being. But he said, He's made us from one blood and has pre-appointed when we would be born, where where we would be born, so that we would reach for Him, that we would grow for Him, and that one day we would find Him. You need to understand that God made you male or female to put inside of you a desire to pursue that so that ultimately you would find the one in whose image you have been created the image of almighty God so just for a few moments here I just would like to share with you male and female what that means and this is going to be very simple it's not profound but it's just something that we need to be reminded of first God created them male The Bible says that the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden and there He put the man whom He had formed. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you shall eat of it, you will surely die. Whether you realize it or not, biblical manhood is clearly laid out in the original design right here. I don't even need to go anywhere else. It's right here. Because we're wondering, what does it mean to be a man? Yes, every male is a male, but not every male is a man. Do you know what I mean? They're man-child. There's a reason that we use that word. They are old men, but they behave like children. So you can be a male and not be a man. So what does it mean to be a biblical man? What does it mean to be a man of God? First of all, I know this from Scripture, real men are responsible. It's funny, all the women said amen on that one. It is funny. Real men are responsible. You say, where do you... That was better. (laughs) They are responsible. You say, where are you getting that, Pastor Kurt? Right there from the Scripture. It says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden. That's a word, put, that you would probably just read through and never think anything of it. But the word put in the Hebrew language means to rest. It means to settle down. It means to remain. 
It's the idea that after a man has been on his adventures and he has discovered that there comes a natural time when he needs to settle down. When he needs to remain and he needs to take responsibility for everything that God has entrusted to him. Godly men take responsibility for all the things that God has given to them, for all that God has entrusted to their life. They know how to take responsibility. Real men do not run. Real men do not abandon. Real men do not commit adultery. Real men do not look at pornography. Real men take responsibility. Real men do not run from their trouble. They stay and they work it out with the power of Almighty God in their life. And dads, I'm going to tell you, if you want to raise godly men, sit down and teach them how to be responsible. With everything that has been given to them, with everything that's been trusted to them, even their toys, teach them to be responsible with their toys. Teach them to be responsible for their lives, for their resources, for their families. Teach them when they're little to be responsible for their sister, for their younger brothers. Teach them to be responsible for their mother. Teach them to that have that sense of responsibility within their life. Secondly, we know that real godly men are providers. I'm I'm just kind of listening to who says amen. It's kind of funny. They are providers. He put them in the garden first to tend the garden. The word tend there means to labor. It means to work. It means to serve others. That's interesting. We were created right out of the gate, men, to be servant leaders. We're not leaders for our own benefit. We are leaders to serve those that we lead. Too many men think that leading means ordering everybody around. Men lead as servants. We lead those that we serve so that their lives can be enhanced, so that their lives can be blessed. We don't We don't assume leadership so that we can get all the benefits. All the benefits come back on those that we lead. Say amen or ouch. We are servant leaders. We are to work hard. Godly men work hard. Whatever their hands find to do, they do it with all their might and they do it for the glory of God and for the benefit of everyone that has been entrusted to them. Men, your primary responsibility in the home is to be a provider. Is to go out and get a job. Now that doesn't mean that your wife can't work and it doesn't mean that your wife cannot make more money than you but you should have a steady job yourself and you should be providing for the household. Man, I'm going to get shot by somebody today like it's going to happen. Because women, I haven't even started on you yet. You know? <laughs> I'll be much easier on you. Guys, we need to work. And it just, it, it grieves my heart when I see lazy men. Listen, thank the Lord that we live in a nation where you can save money and retire. But let me tell you this. Retirement is overrated. You'll find Nothing about retirement in the Bible. 
Nothing about it. In fact, work was not a part of the curse. God created man to work right at the very beginning. You were created to be a hard worker. Now, maybe you're going to be able to retire one day. But the first day of retirement, you need to show up in my office and say, Pastor Kurt, what can I do now? I've been saving up for a kingdom here on earth. Now I need to start saving up for a kingdom in heaven. You're not meant to surf, fly, fish the rest of your days and play golf. You're meant to work. That's how God created you. Wow. Real men are protectors. Real men are protectors. Men was put in the garden to tend and to keep the garden. Believe it or not, the word keep there means to guard. It means to observe. It means to protect. It means to beware or to be aware of surroundings. It means to watch. It means to save. In fact, it is translated at other places in the Old Testament as watchmen. Watchmen would sit on a wall and they would survey the horizon to look for uh, an enemy attack. In the same way, men are supposed to stand on the spiritual wall of their home and they're to survey any enemy that would seek to come into their marriage, into their home, into the lives of their children. Godly men serve in all of these capacities. We're guardians, we observe, we protect, we're aware of our surroundings, we keep watch, and we save our children and our wives in Jesus' name. We are protectors. That's why when little boys are little, that they want to be cops, and they want to go into the military, and they want to be firemen, because there is an instinct within man to be the one who saves the damsel in distress. We are protectors. And men, we need to be teaching our boys how to be protectors. We need to teach them how to be sensitive to their sisters. We need to teach them how to be protectors and to be observant of their families. And we ourselves need to be observant. You see, there was a snake, so to speak, loose in the garden when man began. But it was because Adam was not aware of his surroundings that his wife went and had that fruit as she was tempted by Satan himself. Listen to me, folks. There is a serpent that is loose in the garden right now. He has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. And we need to be sober men. We need to be vigilant men and watch out for enemy attack so that we can protect our wives and our children. you got to love your children enough to say, no, that isn't coming in to this house. To say, wife, listen, I love you, honey. And I know that you love this new girlfriend, but I'm going to tell you, since you met her, this is the way you've been acting. And I love you enough to tell you, you got to cut it out because I am the man of this house that was meant to protect you in Jesus' mighty name. Like I said, somebody's going to love me or hate me here today on this one. Finally, real men are humble. Real men are humble. The Bible says that the Lord commanded him. He commanded him, which means that at least for a time, Adam was submitted to God. And I know that real men are submitted to God. They hide his word in their hearts that they would not sin against him. They do not... They do not take authority. They are men who are under authority and lead from that position of humility. 
You know, humility, it's an interesting word because we tend to think of humility as weakness. But can I tell you, it takes great courage to be a humble man. It takes great courage to be a humble woman too. But for men, it takes great courage to be humble. Young men, listen to me. It takes great courage to humble yourself of what you want sexually and to say, I'm not my own God. My emotions are not my God. My God is my God. And I am going to surrender to Him. And whatever He tells me to do, I'm going to do it. That takes courage. It takes courage, Dad, to humble yourself before your children and say, I want you to like me. I want you to love me. But at the risk of you hating me, I'm saying no to you. That takes courage. Any father can say, hey, just live your life any way you want to. Talk to your mother about it. It takes a man to take responsibility for his home and say, no, I hate you. That may be true. I love you enough to actually humble myself of your need, of my need for you to like me and tell you that your soul has been entrusted to my life and I say, no. This is the way it's going to be. That is true masculinity. That which I do, that's what it means to be a man. That is masculinity. Masculinity has nothing to do with sports. Masculinity has nothing to do with MMA. Okay? In fact, where do I go with that? Listen, I understand. MMA, are you kidding me? You're watching two men created in the image of God beat each other to death. Was there a big fight last night? Being masculine has nothing to do with sports. It has nothing to do with hunting and fishing and the clothing that you wear and the car that you drive and being able to bench press 300 pounds. That has nothing to do with masculinity. I've told you before, I grew up in northern Maine. I was surrounded by farmers and flannel. I was surrounded by hunters and fishermen and outdoorsmen. And I liked my suits and I liked my pastel ties. And I loved choir and I loved acting and drama. But I'm going to tell you, all that is, is preference. It's just style. It has nothing to do with being a man. Being a man means that I'm humbled before the living God Almighty. That I seek first the kingdom of God. That I take responsibility in my home. That I provide and I protect in Jesus' mighty name. And then he created female. <laughs> Amen. Ladies, I'm going to be a whole lot easier on you. The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Now make a helper comparable to him. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. Now, i got to tell you, even this morning, I was trying to retool some of my thoughts today for women. 
Because godly femininity is a whole lot harder to define than masculinity. Because women are just a little bit more complex. I'm just being honest. They are just a whole, (laughs) boy, where do you go with that? Guys, listen, whether you like it or not, God just took a handful of dirt and made you and I. But bringing a woman into the earth took surgical precision. (laughs) Ladies, just remember today's Pastor Appreciation Day, okay? That's a good thing. Don't ever be afraid of that. That's, that's your special design. I love, I love 1 Peter 3, 7, even though there's part of it that's a little bit controversial today. It says, Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. It's that one part as to the weaker vessel that a lot of people stumble over. And again, that's because of radical feminism. Listen, feminism in and of itself was not a bad thing because it was striving for equality and they needed to be treated as equals. But we've gone to a radical extreme now where equality is just taking on a whole different meaning. So when you read things like that as to the weaker vessel, women just, what do you mean? What do you mean? Listen. Okay, just just listen. The intent there had nothing to do with that you are intellectually weaker, that you are spiritually weaker, that you are mentally weaker. It has nothing to do with that. It is just stating that in general, women are the physically weaker sex. And we know that in general. Now, there are some ladies I would not want to meet in a dark alley. I mean, let's, let's be honest. But in general... Women are the weaker vessel. And that is nothing, nothing for you to be offended about, ladies. Because you think about it. The things that are most priceless, the things that are most valuable in this world today are the most fragile. In fact, if you could look at that verse and think that somehow this is a domineering verse, you're missing it completely because the Bible says that we are to dwell with our wives with understanding. We understand that they are fragile, that they are weaker. We, we understand that there was much more that went into their created state. And so we carry them and, and honor them with understanding. And the Bible says if we fail to do it, men, that our prayers will not be heard by God. Men, if you do not treat your wife with honor and understanding, I don't care if you stay up all night praying, he will not hear one word you're saying. A lady is priceless. We're to honor her. And I'm not making that up. Proverbs 31. It's not on the screen. I just wrote this today. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. 
Ladies are more precious than the most precious stones you can find in the world today. What does it mean to be a godly woman? And your list is not as extensive. And I'm just going from what I see in the Scripture. What does it mean to be a godly woman? Real ladies fear the Lord first. They fear the Lord. Godly women revere the Lord and worshipfully stand in awe of Him. Proverbs 31, verse 28 says, Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Isn't that amazing? Charm, it's passing away. Beauty, it's passing away. But a woman who fears the Lord, her memory will live on and on and on. Isn't it sad when you consider the thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that women spend every year investing in charm and in beauty. The money they spend for their hair and for their shoes. The money they spend for their nails and their shoes. (laughs) The money they spend for their makeup and their shoes. Because they want to be more charming. They want to be more beautiful. But all of that will pass away. A truly feminine woman walks reverently and worshipfully before the living God Almighty. Is she kind? Absolutely. But her kindness is because she's submitted to the Lord. Is she fearless? Oh, she's fearless but it's because she fears the Lord and fears no one else. That beauty comes out of just reverently walking with the Lord. That's godly femininity. And I would tell you that real ladies also are helpers. Now, this is one of the things I was retooling this morning. So, like, just bear with me. They're helpers. That's what the Bible says you came into existence to be helpers. Now, I know that doesn't sound exciting, but just, just stay with me for a moment. There's nothing wrong with being created to be a helper. You have a very unique skill set. You have a very unique personality that was meant to help men and women and children and others around you. You have been uniquely gifted for that. That's why women, and I know some people say, that's, that's so sexist. No, it isn't. It's the fact. When women choose to, to take careers, and you can choose. There's nothing in the Bible that says you can't. But most women choose occupations that are in helps or in service. More women become nurses. More women become teachers. More women take positions where they're aiding other people. There's nothing 
wrong with that at all. It's because that is a gifting. Now, can women be leaders? Of course. There's nothing in the Bible that says women can't be executives and and great leaders. Nothing at all. But they will lead in a different way than a man does. Because they have gifts that are different than a man. And there are wonderful, successful businesswomen that have led well, but it's because they've leaned in to the gifts that God gave to them. They're helpers. The Bible says, I will make him a helper comparable to him. Paul picked up on this and said uh, in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse number 8, for man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. Now again, that word for can get ladies like, what do you mean? Like, are, you know, we're only created for men? It's not the best interpretation. The word for probably should be translated because. Man was not created because of woman. Woman was created because of man. And you say, well, why would that be? Because when God looked at man, what did he say? It is not good for man to be alone. That doesn't mean that God made a mistake when he made man. It means that God created man with skill set, with hard wiring to make him an adventurer, to make him that, that leader that just made him to be that kind of a guy. But he realized that there was another set of skills that he needed to really be rounded out. And so instead of giving those to the man, he created a woman. And gave her the skill set to come right alongside her husband to be a blessing and a helper in Jesus' name. And ladies, lest the enemy try to speak in your ear that being a helper is not good. Some of you will know this answer, some of you won't. Don't worry about it, okay? When we talk about the Godhead, we're talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Of those three, which one throughout Scripture is designated the helper? The Holy Spirit. Ladies, you're in good company. I mean, think about that. When God the Father created all things... He made the decision of what he was creating. He spoke the word, which we know is Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit took the word and quickened it to perform it. The Holy Spirit is seen as the advocate. He is seen as the one who comes alongside us. He is our intercessor. He is the one who never leaves us and he never forsakes us. Ladies, God created you to be a reflection of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a man. Jesus name there's nothing wrong with that at all God gave you unique gifts to help us as men take dominion to subdue the earth and to multiply and does that mean that again women cannot lead or women cannot pursue a career of course not this primarily is about the marital relationship ladies before you get married you know you just Operate in your giftings and your calling. But once you get married, there is a a change that occurs within it. And by the way, ladies, you only submit to one man. And that's your husband. 
You don't, you, know, no, you don't just submit to every man because they're men and you're women. No, no, no. We're talking about the marriage relationship. Within the context of marriage, men are to take the initiative and women are to respond. And I'm going to tell you, and you know that I've said this on a number of occasions and I'm not just saying it to say it. Any success that I've had always goes to the Lord because everything I have is God's. But I'm going to tell you, on an earthly level, any success that I've ever experienced is because of that beautiful young lady sitting there on that second floor. You, you don't know the mess you'd have if I didn't have my wife with me. Because where I'm weak, she is strong. I, I, I almost hate saying this, and I know I'm keeping you a little longer. I almost hate saying this because, listen, we, we've been married for 29 years, okay? So this happened 31 years ago, okay? And it does not reflect my parents' views any longer. But my parents loved Kathy right from the beginning. But they had real struggles with her and me being married, knowing that I was going to be in ministry. Okay? Because in those days, and I don't think it's that way anymore, but in those days, they're going back 30 plus years ago, there was a stereotype pastor's wife she had to sing she had to play the piano she had to uh, be a great communicator and a sparkling personality and and (laughs) Kathy's not that way but I didn't need a singer and I didn't need a piano player And I didn't need a bubbly personality all over the place. I got all that. (laughs) I don't don't know why you're laughing. but (laughs) But what I needed was a rock to come home to every night who could keep me grounded in Jesus' name. Pastor Appreciation Day, honey. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to end with this. I know I'm kind of ending it abruptly, but I want you just to hear this. Why is this a big deal? I want to read two scriptures. First one comes out of 1 Timothy chapter 2. It says, I desire therefore that the men... And that is gender specific. Sometimes men or man can be used gender neutral... This is gender specific. He's talking about men. I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere. Lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In Paul's mind, men should be leading worship. And I don't mean up here. I mean, I, I'm, and they can. But I'm just talking about men should be setting the spiritual course of church. They should be the ones with their hands lifted up, passionate about the living God and leading the whole church 
into a greater dimension of worship. And I know some of you guys are saying, well, that's not the way that I am. You're crazy. You go absolutely nuts when the Eagles score the occasional touchdown, okay? You do. You get their paraphernalia everywhere. And if you can do it there, you can come into this house and magnify the name of the Lord. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair, gold, or pearls, or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Going into Titus, he says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, and incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Wow. Why is gender so important? Because the spiritual life of the church depends upon it. Paul, Paul said, men, and he's talking to the mature men, he said, men, lead the way spiritually. And come alongside the boys and the young men and train them how to be men of God. Likewise, you mature women, you come alongside the girls and come alongside the young men and you train them how to be women of God. I don't know what this is going to look like in the future, but we have got to change the way we think about children's ministry. It's not about just going to a class. We need men to come along, the boys of our church, some of which have no fathers, and teach them from their youth how to be men of God. And we need women back there. I don't care if you can teach. I just need you to show by example how to be women of God. That the little girls... Raise them up to be women after God's own heart. Gender matters. We cannot compromise on this because people are sensitive about it. And I know that some, there might be some here that are struggling with some of these issues and we will do everything we can to be a safe church. What I mean by that is even though we will never compromise the Word of God, we want you to come and tell us your struggles and your difficulties and your sin. And know that we're not going to judge you, but we're going to come alongside you and lead you to the healer in Jesus' name. We love you. And if you're not comfortable with that, because there's some people, well, well, what are we welcoming here? Listen, the last time I checked, broken people were in a hospital. And in as much as the church is a hospital for the soul, we're going to have broken people here as well. In Jesus' name. Bless God. Let's stand to our feet here this morning. Bless God. 
Can you lift your hands up to the Lord and just magnify his name?